Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 956 of the Lockdown Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland, coming to you on a Thursday morning after a Wednesday night game for the Hawks in Sacramento. And today's show is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. At only 2.6 carbs and 95 calories, it's only worth it if you enjoy it. Stay tuned for the Ultra Player of the Week coming up later in the episode. So later we'll get to the Hawks and the Kings and a uh, not not a terrible loss but not a great one either for Atlanta. They're back. This is their second straight loss, of course, after losing on Monday in Los Angeles. And we'll dive into that game momentarily. But as you're listening to this on Thursday, it is now trade deadline day. So we'll leave with the latest on the rumor mill and uh, a little bit of quiet, relatively, from the Hawks on Wednesday. And we'll start there. So. I would say it's actually been slower since the last time we talked. Last podcast that we did, I ran through a bunch of rumors, and that was a lot busier than it's been recently. But um, John Collins spoke to the media on Tuesday, said all the right things, said he wanted to be in Atlanta long term. He understands it's going to be a business, of course, but is assuming that he'll be on the team when the deadline passes on Thursday. Both Chris Kersher and Sarah Spencer wrote about John's comments, so you can see uh, all those from them as well. Um, one of the teams that linked that was been linked to the linked to the Collins stuff in the last couple of weeks is the Minnesota Timberwolves. But John Krasinski of the Athletics said that the asking price was always too rich. That's the way he said for the for the Wolves from the Hawks standpoint. Um, I noted a few times it was hard to see a deal with the Hawks and the Wolves for a two team trade unless Schlenk was just in love with Malik Beasley, which I would not would I would not be quite frankly. Um, but you know, other than that. That's one team to kind of not fully cross off, but certainly leaning that way. Also, Brad Townsend of the Dallas Morning News reported that the Mavericks are at least one of the five teams or so loosely engaged, is the way that he put it, loosely engaged. Again, I say loosely engaged in talks for John Collins, but they're not near the front of the line, he says. And another source said that as of two weeks ago, it was, quote, a near certainty, end quote, that Collins would be traded, but now leaning towards them keeping him. Um, that's been sort of the theme going on here as we sort of ramp up to the last uh, salvo in this. But Chris Mannix of SI reported that the asking price remains quite high for Collins and that rival executives say that the Hawks are not operating like a team that is eager to move on from Collins. Also, and finally, this is the one that got most of attention and I could definitely see why. On Wednesday afternoon, there was the ESPN television show between Adrian Wojnarowski and Zach Lowe. They're sort of traded line special of sorts that ran as a podcast as well. And uh, that drew some attention, quite obviously. But Lowe kind of prompted Woj on talking about whether the Hawks were going to keep Collins. And Woj was pretty definitive, honestly. He said, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quote here extensively from Wojnarowski, so this is what he said when asked by Zach. Yeah, they are going to keep John Collins. They play really well under Nate McMillan since he's taken over as head coach. The team's gotten healthier, but I think if they do anything in Atlanta, again, it's something that's going to be more around the edges than with their core players. There were discussions with John Collins with a number of teams, but expect him to finish the year with the Hawks. End quote. Also, earlier in the same episode, Woj said that he thinks the Hawks, quote, for all intents and, pers- all intents and purposes are going to stand pat, end quote. He also said, with regard to Lonzo Ball, that any discussions between the Hawks and the Pelicans have gone by the wayside, is the way he put it, at this point in time. So I'll stop here to say, you know, when Woj is as definitive as he was here, that definitely is noteworthy. I will not tell you that there's a 100% chance that John is, tra- John is not traded, but certainly when Woj discusses that stuff as definitively as he did there, uh, it gets my attention and definitely puts me further towards being pretty surprised now if Collins was moved. Obviously, famous last words. There is some time before the deadline as you're listening to this. 
But when, uh, again, the number one newsbreaker talks pretty definitively as if Collins is going to stay, I do trust that, and uh, we'll see what happens. But it will now be more surprising, I would say, if they were to move on from Collins before Thursday afternoon. And the final thing I wanted to mention is that on the on the Hoop Collective podcast on Tuesday, um, ESPN's Brian Windhorst used the term unrest multiple times when discussing Bogdanovich in Atlanta and referenced him not being potentially happy with not starting right now. I will say, as we'll get into momentarily, Bogdanovich was, was, was quite good in this game tonight, which maybe helps the mood a little bit, but of course they lost the game. Um, he did he did stress um, that it does not mean he's going to be moved necessarily, but it could be a factor in the thought process of the Hawks and Bogdanovich. Also, he said, um, Windhorst said that he thinks the Hawks are going to be a team that's going to probably end up doing something one way, one way or the other. Again, that was on Tuesday, so it's been two days now, but that was worth pointing out. And he talks about the fact that Bogdanovich and Reddish are available-ish for the Hawks. So, a lot of conflicting stuff right now. Obviously, you know, the Collins news was the biggest one on Wednesday, and with Woj talking, there's more heft behind that than most other people. But, you know, we'll see what happens. There's nothing right now that I think is imminent from what I hear slash read. And if the Hawks made a move, I wouldn't be surprised. I think Collins is less available than he was before based on what I'm hearing at this moment. But uh, hold on to your hold on to your breath, I guess, if you're a Hawks fan wanting to keep all the guys together. Um, and, of course, we'll have a wrap-up if anything happens at all on Thursday. Maybe if, maybe if they don't do anything on Thursday, we'll, come, we'll have a podcast of some sort. But, obviously, uh, if you're a new listener, I'll just tell you now, we'll have a podcast if they make a trade on Thursday. So please subscribe to the podcast and all of that stuff. All right, before we get to the game... And the rest of the podcast, it's time to reveal the Michelob Ultra Player of the Week. And to no surprise, this is sort of a tribute to Tower Jones, friend of the program, who got on me last week about not giving it to this player. It is going to be John Collins this week. John averaged 20 points a game and more than 10 rebounds a game in the last three games, which covers this whole week. And he shot 65% from the floor in that stretch. A little bit of a quieter game on Wednesday, but this is a full week-long award. And obviously, we've been talking about John quite a bit with the trade market, and he's been playing really well recently. And I think Hawks fans will be quite happy if he sticks around through Thursday. So, with Michelob Ultra, are you happy because you win? Are you win because you're happy? And with 2.6 carbs, 95 calories, is only worth it if you enjoy it. In the end, joy creates success, and enjoyment isn't the end game, it's the whole game. Michelob Ultra and the Ultra Player of the Week is John Collins. Today's show is also sponsored by the good folks at Paramount+. Plus. March Madness has returned, and Paramount Plus is the games you won't want to miss. You can watch CBS games live on Paramount Plus, including the Final Four and the National Championship game on April 5th. Paramount Plus is also the home to year-round sports, including the Masters, the PGA Championship, the UEFA Champions League, the Europa League, the NFL, and much more. Plus, you can get breaking news, expert picks, and highlights from all of your favorite teams with CBS Sports HQ, a 24-7 sports news network. Paramount Plus is awesome to watch on the go as well. They have a great library of TV shows and movies and documentaries and much more. And the sports component really is awesome, particularly in March Madness with all the CBS action you can get live. And uh, that comes in handy when you're on the move during this very busy month. And if you visit ParamountPlus.com before March 31st to receive a one-month free trial of Paramount Plus, that's ParamountPlus.com to receive a one-month free trial of Paramount Plus. That is ParamountPlus.com. All right, we'll dive in now to the game itself and what became a two-point loss for the Hawks, 110-108 to in Sacramento. The Kings have been playing better recently, that's worth pointing out, and they're pretty good on offense. They're like a top 10 or 11 offense in the entire league, so that is worth pointing out here as well. But they are the worst, worst defense in the league, and that's been a theme of this game, and that the Hawks 
numbers were not terrible for Atlanta offensively in a vacuum in this game. But at the moment, at least coming into the night, the Kings had the worst defensive rating in the history of the NBA. Now, part of that is the offensive environment that we're in, where t- scoring is just way up across the board. But still, the Kings are the worst in the league. So even if you ignore the the history component of that, they are dead last. And the Hawks just scored like kind of at a pretty average rate, even in a vacuum. So that isn't going to get it done against a Kings team that's so bad defensively and pretty good on offense. And that's kind of the way that this all shook out. The other way uh, to headline this game, other than the, the back-to-back losses is that Bogdanovich returned to Sacramento for the first time in a new uniform. He, of course, was in Sacramento before this, and the Hawks signed him out of there on the offer sheet. He played well in this game. We'll come back to that later on. And in the injury report, um, Gallinari was questionable after missing the fourth quarter on Monday with a knee issue. Ended up playing, was maybe a little bit limited, but still played uh, quite a bit and was uh, you know was out there at nothing else. And then Rajon Rondo was a late scratch with a ductor soreness, and the Hawks, interestingly enough, did not play a backup point guard in this game. They went only with, essentially, Bogdanovich and Herter playing together whenever Trey Young was off the court, which is uh, kind of a return to the early season stuff when Rondo was banged up, and uh, a pretty interesting decision. We'll come back to that as well later on. But um, the Hawks were favored, albeit slightly, in this game. As I've said for a while, you know, barring injuries, this was probably the easiest game on the trip in terms of the schedule. Uh, but even then, our friends at Battleland.ag put the Hawks as a three-point favorite. So you're still on the road. The Kings are not, like, terrible. Um, so that, t- that kind of tells you the Hawks are supposed to win this game, and they didn't win it. But that's a little bit of context. They weren't they weren't massive favorites in this game, despite the, the fact that, that they actually were favored at tip-off. All right, we'll start and go through the game here, as we always do. Um, it was kind of a back-and-forth game overall, which, if you watched it, you will definitely feel that um, recognition, but it was it was uh, highs and lows throughout the game, and it started out, it started out that way from the very beginning. So it was eight to three, Kings out of the gate with the Hawks opening kind of cold, and then they had a nine two response to take the lead from there. There was an awesome high low pass from Clay Capella, John Collins to set up a layup, and the Capella had a really good start, kind of overpowering the Kings on the interior, especially just kind of blowing through Rashawn Holmes a few times for dunks, offensive rebounds, all that stuff. But defensively, the Hawks did struggle. Um, for most of this game, honestly. But there were some fouls. Uh, DeAndre Hunter got, Hunter got two fouls in a row. And by the way, Hunter played uh, considerably more in this game than he did in the first game. He got to 26 minutes, despite the fact that he was off the bench. They started the same group with Tony Snell and, and Herter as the wings. But it seems like Hunter is getting closer to being back to a normal minutes limit. So that's something to monitor in, in advance of Friday's game. But um, the Kings that then made sort of a run. It, it was an 11-3 push in the first quarter. De'Aaron Fox was awesome. Really the entire game, but you know, out of the gate, he had 15 points in the first 10 minutes, really driving Sacramento's offense, and the Kings were scoring at a high level. As I said before, the Hawks went no point guard for all this, all the non-tray minutes in this game. At first, it was a lineup of Herder, Bogdanovich, Hunter, Gallinari, and a Kongwu, who was the backup center in the first half, and then it was Nathan Knight in the second half. Neither one of those guys made a huge dent in the game and played very sparingly overall. The Hawks showed by as many as eight points in the first quarter. Ended up scoring the final six points, though, to get back within two. Bogdanovich had a good start with seven points on his first three shots, and um, that sort of set the tone. It was tied for large portions, or at least back and forth, for large portions of the second quarter. Not a whole lot going on. The Hawks did struggle to get stops, though, for most of the quarter. They just had no answer for, De- for De'Aaron Fox, whether it was Trey Young, whether it was one of the other wings trying to guard him. Nobody could stop him. Um, and, it, you know, part of that's Fox being awesome. Part of that's just that, you know, Trey just did not have a lot of resistance. There was one possession that I thought Trey actually did a great job defensively. And even then, Fox just kind of beat him anyway, because Fox is really good. Um, Capella had a double-double with four minutes left in the first half, which is telling on some level. The offense did find their footing. 
at times late in the half. There was a big dunk by Collins, then a nice drive and dish by Hunter to Capella for a dunk, and then a lob dunk on the final trip of the first half to tie the game. So the Hawks went from down for most of the first half to tying the game at the halftime break. Um, they didn't shoot it incredibly well, but took care of the ball at a, at a decent rate, had a bunch of offensive rebounds in the first half, ended up scoring at a very good cliff, about 1.19 points per possession before halftime. The Kings actually shot it better than the Hawks did um, in the first half, mostly, be- mostly behind Fox, but the Hawks won the peripherals to end up tying the game. They played nine guys in both halves. It was a different nine. It was the same eight plus the Kongwu first half, a night second half, but even that was kind of an eight and a half man rotation for the most part for Atlanta. After halftime... The Hawks called an early timeout um, after giving him a tip in. McMillan's pretty frustrated, pretty visibly, early in the third quarter. The offense, though, found a groove at one point in the third. They scored 11 points on five possessions, which is pretty good to tie the game again at 74-74. But the Hawks were giving up points, too. Like, De'Aaron Fox had 30 points midway through the third quarter. So it wasn't like they were making a huge run when they were scoring. It was kind of keep, just keeping up for the most part. And the Kings ended up scoring the final 11 points of the third quarter. Sacramento took a kind of an inexplicable timeout in the third to kind of give the Hawks a chance to regroup. It just didn't really help Atlanta. The Hawks didn't score for the final 5.06 of the third quarter. So if you're looking for one point in the game, it's easier to focus on the fourth quarter always, but that was probably when the Hawks lost this game was at the end of the third with that 11-0 run. And against this terrible Kings defense, you just cannot go five minutes without scoring. Uh, Trey did sit for most of that. He was out for the final 320, as was Collins. So it was, it was the second unit, but still, you got to score on some level there. Um, I would have preferred a little bit more by Donovich on the ball, honestly. And it's worth pointing out, the no-point guard lineup worked pretty well in the first half, kind of under the radar. The Hawks won those minutes pretty big, but they it was very bad in the second half. So give and take there. They kind of stole some minutes in the first half, but um, whatever Trey was off the court in the second half, it did not go well. And for the game, you know, the Hawks lose this game by two and Trey was minus four. So they actually were plus two in the minutes that Trey sat, which that's crazy if you watch only the second half of this game. The first half, they actually won the nine point guard minutes. Anyway, um, same rotation, like I said, not great from either Nadira Kongwu. Um, to the fourth, it got pretty interesting. Obviously, it was back and forth the entire way, but by the had a three early, then the Kings had an offensive foul. Trey gets free throws and, and leads back to six in a hurry. Then Gallinari hits a jump shot. It's a 9-2 run, and the Hawks were within four um, almost instantly starting the fourth quarter. Um, they sat Collins for a curiously long time, almost eight minutes. That was longer than I would have liked to see him sit, and he didn't play as much as I would have played him or feature as much as I would have featured him in this game. 33 minutes is just fine, but I think he probably could have played more and gotten the ball more, if nothing else. Um, but I should have three to give the Hawks the lead with 6.31 to go. It was a 20-8 to overall run to start the fourth quarter. That was a nice stretch for Atlanta, quite obviously. Um, then from there, it was truly back and forth. Um, De'Aaron Fox splits free throws to tie the game with 5.39 to go. Um, that, that was a timeout at 94-94. Gallinari then missed a shot out of the timeout, and Halliburton had a four-point play. That was a big play in the game to give the Kings back control. Trey then turned it over, and then Fox scored, and something the Hawks go from tied to down six in about a minute. That was a big one. Um, Young got trapped after that, and um, in the way, actually, he, he just got, he, on that turnover that he made previously, he was trapped. It was kind of the first trap that I remembered the Kings doing in that run, and it kind of, I think, spooked Trey. He turned it over, but then from there, the next time, he beat it with a nice pass to Capella for a dunk. Um, interestingly enough, they also had sort of a weird, a weird thing with, the, with timeouts, and I think it's pretty obvious what McMillan was doing in retrospect, but it was also pretty early to do it. Um, the Kings called timeout. 
the Hawks came out with a defense-only lineup. Not defense-only, but defense-primary lineup without Trey on the court for about nine seconds. It was one possession. They got a stop. And then the Hawks called an immediate timeout. This was four minutes to go. You don't often see like a pure offense defense with a timeout with four minutes to go. And if you saw the TV camera, it was like Bogdanovich and a couple other guys were like kind of perplexed by why McMillan was calling timeout, or at least frustrated by it. It seemingly was to get Trey back in the game, and also it was a user to lose a timeout. So it was not as weird as it seemed, and I, I thought it was weird in the moment, and then you got to think about it more. It, it made more sense, like, theoretically than it just as in practice. But uh, that happened. It was kind of a weird moment uh, late in the fourth. Um, and then the Hawks, I thought, caught a break with the Kings kind of inexplicably hacking Clint Capella while leading. Obviously, the hack of Capella is not a new thing, but the Kings t- did it while they were winning by four points. Capella, they did they did it twice. Capella split both of them, so that's kind of a win, I think, overall for the Kings. But still, I don't I don't know why they, I don't know why they did that, honestly. Um, but a nice back and forth. Trey scored four points in a row to get within one. They foul Fox with two thirteen to go. He makes both. Um, they hack Capella again. He splits again. They get they get a stop originally, but then Holmes gets a follow dunk to put them up by four again. The Hawks almost turned it over at that point. Uh, it was Trey with sort of an errant pass. And then Madonovich, after they scrambled to get the ball back, missed a jump shot. And the Hawks were in some trouble at that point, down four without the ball. But the Kings committed just a god-awful turnover um, in transition to give the Hawks a real big break with 131 to go, up by four points. Sorry, down by four points if you're the Hawks. Um, so that was a nice break for Atlanta, get them back in the game. And then after that, Madonovich gets totally left, a total breakdown by the Kings defense. And he hits a wide open, like, I can't describe this more, wide open Top of, the, top of the key three to get back within one. So that's a great sequence for Atlanta. They give up, they give up a bucket to, to, to Holmes on the next possession to go back down by three. And then Young hits about a 34, 35-footer to tie it. That was a bomb from Trey, tied at 108-108. That was the Hawks' final bucket, though, of the game. And only two points were scored in the final minute. It was a Halliburton drive. He got fouled by Trey. He made both free throws with 36, 36.6 seconds to go at 110-108, and that ended up being the final score. The Hawks call timeout, down two. They bring in a lineup that's Young, Bogdanovich, Snell, Gallinari, and Collins on the must-score possession. So Herder, who was not very good in this game, was off the court at that moment, which is an interesting decision. Um, the Hawks got a decent shot. It was Trey Young on a floater. He just missed it. Um, they didn't foul because they had about six, seven seconds in between the shot clock and game clock. That was enough time to not foul in a two-point two game. Um, Buddy Heald airballs, just a dreadful shot. By heel, he was terrible in this game, by the way. Um, so the Hawks get it back with 6.2 seconds to go. That's a pretty good spot. You're down by two. Obviously, you want to be up by two instead of down by two, but the Hawks had a chance to tie it or win it. Young turns the corner after the timeout, gets downhill, but De'Aaron Fox is so fast, he makes up he makes up ground and knocks the ball out of bounds. So that didn't kill them, but if it's anybody but Fox, maybe in the league, Trey gets a shot up there probably um, going downhill, but Fox is so quick, he, he knocks it out of bounds. The Hawks have, to, Hawks have to inbound again with 1.3 to go. They get it to Gallinari, who up fakes and shoots and misses. Now, I don't think he got it off. Like, they showed the replay kind of in passing. It didn't matter because he missed a shot anyway, but I don't think it was going to count either way, so he just took too much time. And at 1.3 seconds to go, you're, like, you're not like likely to score there unless you have a great um, design. That wasn't a great look. I mean, it was a decent look. Don't, don't get me wrong. Gallinari can make that shot all day long. But he had to up fake to get that separation and uh, did not have enough time to do that. So, at the end of the day, execution was not ideal late in the game. But, you know, Kings made some plays. They actually gave the Hawks some chances with the healed air ball and the terrible turnover. But the Hawks just kind of didn't score enough. 
Um, you know, Trey was good in the second half in terms of as a score, but there wasn't a lot going on beyond that other than Bogdanovich hitting the 1-3. So we'll leave it there for now. But the back and forth kind of tells the story. It was, just, it was definitely a back and forth game. We'll talk, we'll talk about more of the takeaways in a moment. Before we get to the takeaways, though, a word from our sponsors on the podcast today. And the first one is Built Bar. Built Bar is fantastic. It's the best tasting protein bar on the market, and it has been for quite a while now. And in my humble opinion, it is the best tasting protein bar ever. And Built Bar is low calorie. It's low sugar, high protein, high fiber. It tastes absolutely fantastic, and it has 100% chocolate on all of the bars. And now, here in the month of March is the time to find out which Built Bar is the best because it's Built Bar Madness. You can find all of the information for Built Bar Madness at BuiltBar.com or at Bar underscore Built on Twitter. And part of that is being able to vote for your favorites, including today's matchup of Cookies and Cream versus Coconut Almond. I have to say, Cookies and Cream is one of my favorites, as I've shared numerous times on the podcast, so I will definitely lean that way myself, but you can view your own um, picks on the site, and the entire bracket is available for your consumption. Also, if you visit BuiltBar.com, you can use the promo code LOCKED15, 15% off your next order with the site. That is LOCKED15 to get 15% off your next order at BuiltBar.com, and check back to see who's won today's matchups and who will become the best tasting protein bar. One more time, that is promo code LOCKED15. Check it all out at BuiltBar.com. Today's show is also brought to you by our friends at BetOnline.ag. BetOnline is the fastest and the easiest way to bet on all of your sports action. And while the NBA is the topic of this podcast, obviously there are all kinds of wagering options up and down the menu at BetOnline.ag. One of the main things right now is college basketball with March Madison full swing up in Indianapolis and a ton of games to check out in that space. In addition to that, you have the NHL, you have golf, you have tennis, auto racing, MMA, whatever you like, you can find it at betonline.ag. And on top of the sports action, you can also wager on awards and TV shows and reality TV entertainment options up and down the board. You have all of those kind of things. And BetOnline also features real-time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. The prop market is are a lot of fun. If you don't have an opinion on the side or the total, the props give you another way to dive in on the action. And BetOnline has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds, and it's the best way to place your bets. It's also free to sign up for an account. Head to the website right now at BetOnline.ag or use mobile device to sign up right now today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit with the site. Yes, it is a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit, but you have to use the promo code Locked On. One more time, that is promo code Locked On for 50% more on your first deposit. But online, your online sportsbook experts. Okay, we're up to show up now with the individual breakdowns as well as some broad takeaways. Um, we'll start with the individual stuff now on the show. Uh, the bench was a, uh, a shallow one in this game. Only three bench guys played more than three minutes. It was Gallinari, it was Hunter, it was Bogdanovich. Um, both Knight and the Kongwu were not particularly effective. Knight, um, three minutes, took one shot and missed it pretty badly. It was a wide open three that he missed. It was minus six. The Kong was actually plus two in his minutes. Did have a foul and one rebound. Didn't make a huge impact. So neither one of those guys, I'm, I'm not sure who won that one. I guess maybe a Kongwu slightly, but uh, not a whole lot going on for either one of them. Um, Hunter struggled in this game. A couple nice flashes as a playmaker. Um, was plus eight in 26 minutes, but it was one seven from the floor, 0 of two from three. You could tell he's not quite back to his old self, which is not a surprise. Like this is what happens when a guy misses as long as he did. You can't expect him to just be back and ready to go. So kind of a incomplete, but he had five fouls. That's a pretty good giveaway that he's not quite back to his old self yet. Um, so a kind of a, uh, we'll see what's going on with Hunter in the future. Uh, Gallinari was not terribly effective. He was minus three, 12 points, three rebounds, two assists. 
26 minutes, 3 of 9 from the floor, 0 of 3 from 3. That's a line seven times, made, made six of them. So that helped with his efficiency overall to where he was just like totally fine, but um, not his best. He probably wasn't 100% athletically either with the injury. Um, it's a knee thing. That's never great, but the fact that he played is probably encouraging, but probably not 100% either. So that's, uh, I'll, just, I'll just say he wasn't, he wasn't particularly good. I was surprised he played as much as he did, especially in the second half. Bogdanovich was awesome. Um, he was probably the single biggest like individual bright spot. You know, obviously Trey was um, really good in the second half. Capella had some nice numbers as well, but I thought Bogdanovich was actually very good. Twenty points, four rebounds, had an assist, two steals, and a block plus three overall. He was seven of eleven from the floor, four six from three. Um, obviously had some juice. Uh, I saw uh, a couple of Sacramento reporters talking about how he, how he was talking trash to the bench in a lighthearted way. Obviously, um, him being there before, it seemed like he was sort of in a groove in this game, which is good to see. Obviously, the Hawks want to see him more from him, and he played quite well, I thought. Um, to the starters, Tony Snell, extremely quiet, only took one shot in 21 minutes. Um, no points, two rebounds, and an assist. Um, you know, that's interesting. He kind of got buried late, too. Did come in a couple times for the final possessions as basically just a standstill shooter. Um, but other than that, he didn't play a whole lot in this in this in the uh, fourth quarter, which is telling that uh, you know I think eventually you're going to see Hunter, especially uh, starting, and might even see Bogdanovich as well in the near future. Uh, Kevin Herter was kind of quiet, ten points, four of nine from the floor, two of four from three. He hit one big shot in the first half when they just could not make a three. The Hawks made two threes in the entire first half. He was one of them. Um, but other than that, uh, not not his best probably. Uh, had an assist, no rebounds, um, just a quiet night, and not in the best way for Kevin. John Collins, who I mentioned before, is as the Ultra Player of the Week. This is probably his worst game of the of the three this week. But ten points, eight rebounds, did have a steal. Didn't use him enough, I didn't think, offensively, and uh, you know wasn't as productive as a result of that. I thought he was fine overall. Made a couple of nice plays, but uh, nothing uh, jumping off the page too terribly much in this spot. Uh, Clint Capella numbers look better than he actually played. I thought. Uh, I thought he was dominant on the glass, especially in the first half. Ended up with 25 and 17, so you can't fake that. That's obviously good. He was plus eight. That is telling as well. I will say defensively, not his best performance. A um, couple of moments where he was gotten, he was uh, sort of in the wrong place at the right time, so wrong place at the wrong time um, against Rashawn Holmes. Um, rim protection was not a strength in this game for him in the way that it has been at times this season. But offensively, made a bunch of plays, was efficient as a scorer, 10 of 12 from the floor, made 5 8 from the free throw line, which is totally fine for him. Rebounding was a strength. So, you know, pros and cons, he was better than usual offensively and worse than usual defensively. I think he still played well and was a factor, but uh, there you go on that. And then finally, Trey Young, 29 points, 9 assists. He had 21 after halftime and 13 in the fourth. Um, he was the biggest offensive engine for the Hawks in the second half. He was pretty shaky before halftime on offense especially. I think defensively, he was bad in this game. Uh, you know, not just bad for Trey, like just bad overall. Again, he had the one possession that sticks out to me, maybe another one later on against Fox where he really competed, but it was not his best defensively. It's a tough matchup, obviously, for him against Fox, and this is one of those this is one of those games when you could certainly use like Chris Dunn or even Ken Reddish to throw at De'Aaron Fox as a um, sort of an on-ball stopper type, but Young did not was not able to contain him in this game. And he was 1 of 7 from 3. It's kind of funny, the one that he made was probably the most difficult attempt of the night, that 35-footer in the fourth quarter. But he was okay on twos. He was 10 of 17. That's totally fine. Got the line six times. So, in the end, he with, with, with the second half performance, he got, he got his offense up to where you probably normally want it to be, but defensively not his best. Um, so, yeah, we'll leave it there. It's uh, interesting stuff in terms of the individual players. I'm not sure, like, other than Magdanovich who play like really above their head or at least at their head or higher. Um, but that's kind of a good sign that you didn't play all that well as a team. Um, 
individual, sorry, t- uh, team takeaways, the Hawks dominated the paint battle, which is what you want against the Kings. They got to the rim whenever they wanted. Um, they had 50, 56 points in the paint, or 58 points in the paint against 44 for the Kings. That's a positive sign. Rebounding was about even for the game, but the Kings won the second half pretty uh, demonstrably on the glass between Holmes and Harrison Barnes and even Whiteside getting on the glass a little bit on the offensive side. That was a, a big factor in the second half, I thought. The Kings shot it a little bit better, not, not a ton better, but the Hawks end up shooting 7 of 25 from 3. You know, that's there's a little bit of noise there, as I have said, uh, as I say a lot on the podcast. Like, some of that shooting noise is just kind of randomness across the NBA season. That's, that's a bad number, though, against the Kings. And 17 assists against this Kings team on 13 turnovers, that's not what you want to see. Turnovers were not too bad, but 17 assists is way, way, way less than you would want against a bad Kings defense. Um, and for the game, the Hawks end up scoring about 1.13 points per possession, which is, again, totally fine in a vacuum, but the Kings are so bad defensively that you needed to put up a lot more than that. Um, and then defensively, the Kings were, um, they shot the ball well, turned the ball over a lot, but the Hawks ended up allowing about 1.16 points per possession, something like that. Um, that's not a disaster. I guess a good, I guess a good offense. And I think overall, honestly, this is an offense loss. As funny as that is, um, in a game that was not like incredibly low scoring, I think this is a game in which the Hawks were not, the bigger problem was the offense, not the defense. Um, I know stopping Fox is like almost separate. And the fact that they were unable, like wholly unable to stop him in this game. So that definitely matters. And if you want to say that was the biggest factor, then I'll listen to that. But I think objectively, like compared to their normal baseline, I will say this is a, a worse offensive performance than defensive for Atlanta. Okay, so two ga- two games in a row in the loss column. That is not what you want to do in the middle of the road trip, especially with the way these, that these games actually both went. Um, both very winnable, especially, you know, they were dominating for large portions of the game on Monday. In this game, much more of a toss-up throughout the game, but still a, an opponent that you're better than. Um, so two kind of disappointing losses on some level, not sky-spawning losses, but still. And uh, ironically, the Hawks are going to go with the trade deadline at 22 and 22, which is uh, <laughs> about where they're supposed to be. I mean, I've said this before on the podcast, but they were projected to be about a 500 team by Vegas, by the projection systems, and that's where they are right now. And with all the injuries, like I think you'll kind of take that, but we'll see what happens from there, from this point forward. Um, the headliner on, on th- is obviously Thursday's trade on. It's 3 it's three o'clock in the afternoon, Eastern time. So you'll know, um, when you're listening to this, you'll know pretty soon what's going to happen there. And then after that, the Hawks will visit the Warriors on Friday night. And Atlanta catches a big-time break. Golden State's not going to have Steph Curry. And that's been announced at this point in time. And uh, in short, the Warriors are very bad without Steph Curry. Um, obviously, you could still lose. It's a road game. Uh, the Warriors still have NBA players. But the Warriors are like minus 5 or minus 6 points per 100 possessions when tri- with, uh, with Steph off the court this season. So uh, that's a spot where the Hawks will probably be, I would imagine, be favored if they are relatively healthy on Friday. Um, against these Stephless Warriors. So that's that's a game that got a lot easier on paper with him not playing. Just want to put that out there. At any rate, uh, please subscribe to the podcast. We will have a show, uh, I will say at the very latest on Friday, if they do anything at all, like any trade whatsoever, any even rumor, I'll probably have a show on Thursday. Unless it's just absolute radio silence, I'm probably, probably going to have a show on Thursday. But regardless, I'll be back at the very latest after the game on Friday. So please subscribe, tell your friends, and we'll see you all next time.